hello, friends, and welcome once again to Zippy the Wonder Snail. I'm Tim, and I'm here with my co-host, Jason. Hey, Jason. Hey, Tim. How are you doing? I'm doing great. That music just makes me so excited because here we are, ready once again to zip through news, culture, and the things that matter as two Christian guys. All right. Let's do it. Well, we're coming to the latter half of summer, and we're right in the middle of the Olympics, which seems to lead us straight to our first topic to zip through. Yeah, we're going to talk about Simone Biles. Yeah. So there was, of course, lots of excitement in the lead-up to the Olympics about Biles and her return and to see if she could defend her championship status as the returning victorious Olympian to the gymnastics competition. Things have gone a little differently than I had imagined she had hoped and lots of people were hoping. Uh, you actually wrote about this this week on Open for Business. Perhaps you'd like to share a little bit more of your insights. Yeah, she was the Olympic all-around champion in 2016, and it's becoming something of a habit for the American women to uh, win the all-around. And she's the greatest gymnast of all time. Uh, When she's at peak, uh, nobody can touch her. So we were supposed to win the team competition by about a point and a half, which is unfathomable. And then she got the twisties there. She didn't know where she was in the air. And sometimes um, stress can bring that on. You lose muscle memory, you lose lots of different things, and that could be really dangerous in a gymnast because you take off in the air, you don't know where you are, you can land uh, in a really bad spot. So she's like, can't do this, got to get out of here. So uh, they carried on without her, they got the silver uh, to the Russians in the team competition, and then Sunisa Lee, we should mention, she went ahead and won the Olympic all-around. the gymnastics all-around competition, so good for her. And what a wonderful story that was, because her father, John, has just been injured in a in an accident, um, fell out of a tree, I believe, or was on a roof and fell, and spinal cord injury. So he's now using a wheelchair. Uh, and that happened right before she was going to leave for the Olympic trial. And then here she is uh, coming to the Olympic Games kind of filling in for Simone, and she wins the all-around at the gymnastics competition. So great for her. Uh, and there was, there, was some, there was some criticism going back to Simone Biles. There was some criticism of Simone, like she, she let her team down and nonsense like that. And I don't think, you know, I don't think a non-gymnast or a non-athlete uh, knows the severity of of the twisties there. You, you don't know where you are in the air, especially in gymnastics. You lose your muscle memory. Uh, it could be very, very dangerous. So, so some of that was crazy. And then she has to wrestle with, and she was doing this on Twitter, wrestling with, um, who am I if I don't have this? Um, and so that was kind of where my column was. And I, I brought it back to Christ and how Jesus doesn't care how many gold medals that she's won and doesn't care really about any of our successes so much as he wants to love us and, and died for us and, and wants to live in us. And so that's what I would remind her of if I had a chance to talk to her, which that would be a bold thing. Me talking to Simone Biles, that would be probably not going to happen. But if I could, I'd say, this is who you are. 
you know, Christ died for you, Christ loves you, and I know she knows that. Uh, but then she posted on Twitter that um, the the support from the fans on Twitter was greater than she expected. And it was like, hey, you know, you're amazing, and you're a wonderful, joyous person, you know. Uh, why should you be surprised? But, you know, we, we all need encouragement, and that encouragement has to start with Christ. So that's where I was going with that, and that, you know, she doesn't know us any. She doesn't owe us anything. She's already the greatest of all time. So that was that was the piece. Yeah, I, I so loved how you tied those two pieces together, especially watching. And I'm glad to hear that she received so much positive encouragement from fans on Twitter and other social media. But it, it was disheartening seeing some of the people who just reacted really horribly. And I think it sort of the the inverse part of of your point where if we tie an, an athlete or anyone's value to whatever they we think they're going to do for us or for our country or what have you as soon as they aren't doing that we we don't see them as the person that they are any longer we see them as someone who's failing to provide what we think we deserve and and it was so sad seeing that and i i so appreciate what you were doing by turning our attention and reminding us of who who she really is or who any of us really are, because all of us are going to probably have that experience at some point, whether it's losing a job that we put our identity in or uh, if we've put our identity in our physical abilities and suddenly our bodies aren't able to do as much anymore, all those sorts of things. Or like Biles herself, we go through a time where there's uh, stress and anxiety and, and so on, and that plays into our ability to do what we otherwise would do. Uh, it can be a real identity crisis for ourselves and an identity crisis as far as how people view us if if both our view and their view of us is based on what we produce rather than who we are in Christ. Right. And and as a person with a phys- physical disability, I have uh I have some experience in losing abilities po- over time. Uh although it's not progressive in my case, but you have to you have to reconsider who you are when something changes, you know, when you live with a disability. So I can no longer get myself out of bed, for instance. Who am I if I can't get myself out of bed? Well, I'm still me, you know, Uh, and I'm still beloved and I'm still necessary in the world. And that's a tough thing. And I just, I tried to bring that back around to Christ because ultimately we can't fabricate that awareness of our goodness and our necessity if we don't bring it back to God and what he's done for us and through us and in us. So I I thought I thought all in all it was a very positive week, even considering the challenges. Yes, yeah, lots to be excited about in the Olympics themselves. And hopefully, my hope is that with Biles taking the approach that she did and being very upfront with with her fans in the world that maybe also helps with people feeling a little bit more free if they do have a time where there's uh, mental issues that are getting in the way of doing something that it can be something we can actually share with each other rather than trying to hide like we so often do. Yeah. To know that the greatest athlete in the world struggles sometimes, bears burdens just like we do. Uh, that can be encouraging. Yeah. 
good for them to speak out. And even Michael Phelps on the cover, the greatest Olympic athlete ever, and he was saying, yeah, I struggle a little bit mentally and uh, had those challenges, and it was hard to figure out who I was when I wasn't the greatest swimmer of all time. So, Yeah. yeah we all need to remember, as you point us to, that what makes us a value is that God values us, and that's going to be true constantly as opposed to any other way that we try to find value for ourselves. And um, in a, a period as we are in during the Olympics where we're celebrating the incredible athletic abilities of people, it's all the more important, I think, that we keep that in perspective. But Because that's something that's very much on stage right now, what we how we value these people. Uh, but it's true, of course, in other sporting events. Uh, you, you've talked before about the excitement we get when we see someone who is aging and yet still able to achieve great athletic feats. You wrote about that a few months ago, in fact. Um, but to to be reminded that that isn't where their value is. It's amazing we can celebrate it, but that's not what makes them valuable. It's really important. Right, and I think if we have a healthy approach to our abilities and the abilities of others, then it becomes something of a solidarity because we remember together as athlete and audience the joy that we had in watching them re- reach these great heights. And uh, that's definitely the case still with Roger Federer, you know, for example, which I wrote about. He's beloved, and he's beloved not necessarily because he can do exactly the same things in the same degree that he used to do, but we all carry those memories together as athlete and, and audience and fans. Yes. So let's let's have a healthy approach. Let's celebrate where we've been together and then remember who we actually are in God's eyes, which has nothing to do with what we're able to accomplish or not. Yes, that's uh that's a great reminder and it's something that all of our listeners can enjoy if they visit Open for Business, who is our first sponsor today on the show. If you're listening, you probably are familiar with Open for Business, but if you aren't We sure hope that you would check it out at OFB.biz. That's OFB.biz. Jason and I, along with Dennis E. Powell, contribute weekly pieces over there that cover a whole gamut of different topics. And it's an opportunity to engage in that intersection of life, culture, faith, and technology. It's a, a eclectic mix. It's a mix that I certainly enjoy. And I think if you haven't yet experienced, you will enjoy as well. That's Open for Business, OFB. Well, that music was sort of out of this world, wasn't it, Jason? Yeah, that's new. That's interesting. I gotta, I gotta be reflective about that. Yeah, uh, sort of like we should be reflective about the amazing space race that we're watching right now. Wouldn't you say? That's about right. I thought I was watching that uh, Dennis uh, Villeneuve. I can't pronounce his name, but that guy, uh, <laughs> the French director that does all the sci-fi films anyway. Yeah, it feels sort of like we're living in a sci-fi film, doesn't it? Now we have space tourism happening, and of course we have a situation uh, that started last year where our own space agency here in the United States isn't able to get to the space station, but we have a private company that can do that. 
So we had this really interesting fusion of public uh, interest in space and public uh, funding for some of these efforts, but also a lot of private funding and, and things like, for example, Virgin Galactic that is just all out going for the space tourism uh, business. So a really interesting time for anyone, I think, that's interested in in space exploration to see this this shift that's so different from what we were looking at 15 or 20 years ago, say. Yeah, we never thought that we would see anything like this, or maybe we did, and now we're living in it. You know, we're living in what was once our imaginative stories. Uh, and some people have been critical of that, Tim, have you noticed? I have, yeah. A lot of people seem to be questioning whether this is just billionaires showing off to other billionaires. Well, and I, I can sort of understand that, because on one side of the argument, you, you can say, and I'll put it in crass terms, because this is how I saw it on Twitter, um, we can go to space, but we can't feed the hungry, and so forth. Um, and so there's an argument to be made there in the sense that we could we could have something of a disordered society in the way that we have this enormous amount of wealth that's concentrated between a few people and yet we can't take care of our own but at the same time the other side of the argument is let's celebrate progress wherever it comes you know let's not necessarily be oh we have to make everyone the same in order to be happy uh so that'd be the other side is like private money is helping us get to somewhere that we weren't before um and it's and it's a great human achievement and we can still do the other thing. You know, we can do better with the other thing. Yes. Yeah, you know, and, and part of the problem, I feel like, with that criticism is that people overlook how much benefit we derive across the board from the advances we need to make to go to space and to explore it. Um, it's been written about extensively, but if you look back at the, the original space race and, and the rush to get to the moon and then to build the space shuttle, Tons of technologies that we appreciate today, things that make everybody's life better, whether they're rich or poor, are, are things that have been derived from achieving liftoff and going to space and keeping astronauts alive in space. So even when it sort of feels like, well, this is sort of frivolous, I mean, to go up to space just to be able to say I'm a space tourist now and I've gone up just high enough that I'm an astronaut, even though I'm not contributing individually to to the the broader knowledge of space it, it 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 feels at first like that criticism is hitting something but i do think it's overlooking the the fact that that for example space tourism is funding these companies who are doing what our own government sort of lost the will to do if you look at the last probably 40 years um of of space funding in in the united states government it's so out of sync, it, it jumps around so much that we haven't really been able to do anything. And anything that's really grand and, and amazing, there's some funding provided for it, and then it's cut, and then it's added, and then another administration comes along and changes it, and it feels like we basically are at a standstill. I remember once Dennis E. Powell wrote a piece on Open for Business that talked about how this was the first time in the history of humanity that we actually backtracked from the frontier, where here we are, we arrive at the moon, and then we give that up, and we're just content to do an, a low Earth orbit. And what's exciting to me about this is when you look at especially 
a company like SpaceX and Elon Musk, they're really pushing the boundaries in a way that we'd kind of hope NASA would be doing. We'd hope that our federal government would be doing, but it hasn't seemed to have the will and the conviction to do. And so we have a private company doing it. And if it takes some space tourists going up and getting to take their selfies up in space in order to get back to the moon and get to Mars and to to find out more about this glorious universe that God's created, then then I'm really okay with it. Yeah, I think everything, we've benefited from everything involving food preservation to microwave technology to fabrics. I mean, lots of stuff came out of the space program. Uh, and it it should continue in some form. I'm I'm all for it continuing in a sort of public-private partnership, which looks like what we're going to have. So it doesn't matter what people think about Elon Musk personally. You know, I remember when I when they had the the shuttle launch a while back. Well, not the shuttle, I guess, but whatever we call that vehicle. That they, they had the launch there. There's some really good people working over at SpaceX and patriotic people and passionate about learning and and advancing the human existence you know advancing our progress as a species and as a country so i think it's going to be great i'm excited you know we're both trekkies (laughs) and if anybody will give you if anything will give you the fuel to dream and be adventurous in real life it'll be star trek so I'm glad for it, and I'm glad we're starting to live the things that we once imagined, like we started out with this topic. So Yeah, we we need our Zephram Cochrans that are going to get us to warp drive someday. Yeah, that's right. Faster than light. I don't know what that's going to do to us, but uh, <laughs> what do I look like, a scientist? <laughs> yeah. Hopefully we'll get there someday. Uh, yeah, we're, we're not scientists, we're just podcasters. But Yeah, that's definitely not the same thing, but it is what it is. But I am excited about just the exploration, and we're learning new things through it. Um, and we're already seeing some benefits. For example, SpaceX, because they've been able to create reliable and at least in relative perspective to space travel, affordable launches, they've been able to launch their constellation of internet satellites at low Earth orbit um, that are going to provide high-speed internet, perhaps as fast as you can get in the middle of a city, anywhere in the world. And those sorts of things are going to have real benefits to people, uh, whether they they themselves ever go to space or not. And, and even things like, for example, what Virgin Galactic's doing, if we can get to the point where we can reliably launch a space plane, it, it potentially has uh, game-changing effects for how we travel around the world and whether people who are scattered across the world can families can can see each other more quickly or we can get supplies where they're needed there there are lots of things that you know maybe down the road and we may not reap immediate benefits to eliminating world hunger or that sort of thing today but i think are moving us in a direction that will ultimately benefit everybody so I, i'm i'm just excited and it, to me it's just exciting that uh for the vast majority of my lifetime if we wanted to talk about space we were mostly talking about history Ironically, even though it was supposed to be the future, all the the huge accomplishments were in the past. And here we are, again, adventuring into space. And I'm excited. I can't wait to see what happens. I'm excited. And and in fairness to what the government has decided to do and not do, uh, a lot of that 
adventure was tripped up by the quagmire of Vietnam. So if we didn't have Vietnam and the politics surrounding that, we probably would have continued with the space program in that form. So that threw a wrench in things, but now we're getting back to it, and I think it's positive. And I also, I'll say, and I'll, I'll give us a teaser for another topic down the line for the podcast. There is a distinct difference between democratic socialism and social democracy. And I, and I think those are significant. So we can say, look, there, we can do things better to make sure a certain group of vulnerable people does not fall through the crack based on basic health care, uh, you know, even basic housing, those types of things. But that doesn't mean that we have to bring everybody down to the same level. Uh, so I think that's where some of the criticism of the space race, especially on Twitter, went awry, because it's like, uh, let's all be me- mediocre so that we don't, um, we're not humiliated by other people's successes, and I don't think that's positive. So anyway, we'll save that for another topic, but I'm excited. It's a great teaser. Yeah. 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 And that, that's a great teaser. It it is something where we need to keep thinking and, and asking our, ourselves, I think, when we see something, am, am I angry about it because I'm jealous? Am I angry about it because it's not me or am I righteously angry? Um, and I I tend to think in this case, a lot of it really is, like you said, everyone just wanting everybody to be mediocre. Um, when hopefully, and I believe that will be the case in this example, what we're going to see is that by some people doing incredible things, even if they seem a little frivolous, everybody will be a little bit better off. And and that's exciting. And uh, we'll have to talk more about that in the near future. I agree. Well, we remain out of this world, or actually back in this world, but in a deep, dark corner of it, the the spying game, espionage. Uh, Jason and I have been having each other watch each other's favorite miniseries over the course of the summer. Jason is going through WandaVision, which I think is just an astoundingly amazing uh, achievement for Marvel, and we'll have to come back to that in the near future. But we're going to return to Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy today that Jason challenged me to go through, and I am now about two-thirds of the way through it. Actually, I am exactly two-thirds of the way through it. Yeah, well, good. So you got to the end of part four. Jason, before we delve into this, we probably should warn our listeners that we are about to spoil some of the plot for Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, right? Yeah, I'm really bad about that. I know it's been around for 40-some years, but maybe some of the listeners haven't seen it. So, yeah, this is your official spoiler alert on that. Yeah. You have been duly warned. If you haven't watched and you're planning to, I'd suggest taking the little next chapter button and hearing the next part of this podcast and then come back here after you get to episode four of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. So you got to the end of part four. You ought to figured out who the mole was, but you said you hadn't figured out who the mole was. Yeah, I'm kind of ashamed after you said that I, I should have. I have my suspicions, uh, but I am not entirely sure. Uh, I think Bill Hayden seems like a a really good candidate. Uh, Bill Hayden is a really good candidate. And you mentioned Percy. You thought Percy might be the other one. Yes. Percy Owlwine. So 
we'll see. You might want to go and give another look at part four and see what you can figure out. But in part five, you're going to get some more uh, notable English actors um, that you haven't seen yet. And uh, it's going to be great. And you're going to find out uh, that everything that happened to Jim Preto at the beginning uh, was a setup. And then George is going to set a trap and away we go. So I'm excited for you. I've watched it a thousand million times. Uh, it's my favorite. And the follow-up miniseries, like I've talked about before, Smiley's People, they're such a payoff uh, sitting on the American side of the Cold War as we did when we grew up. Uh, there's such a payoff at the end that it's this whole batch of stories by Le Carre is wonderful, even if he, you know, becomes more critical of, of the West in his later books and things. Uh, this trilogy, the Carla trilogy, is really great. So you said you really enjoyed meeting Carla in, in episode four, right? Yeah, yes, that pretty much made my night when I was watching it and all of a sudden we found out who Carla was and uh, we, Jason you've already mentioned that we're both Trekkies and, and if you're a Trekkie how can you not love Patrick Stewart actually if you've ever seen him act in anything how can you not love Patrick Stewart and to see that Carla is a younger although very well aged in the way that they they uh, in his costume uh, of, of a younger Jean-Luc Picard I mean that just that made my night <laughs> and what do you notice about Carla as as we see him and and meet him? Uh well, he reminds me a lot of when uh Captain Picard encounters the interrogators on Cardassia. He doesn't have a lot to say. Yeah, the, the chain of command uh from the 6th season of Star Trek the Next Generation. Uh and here what's interesting in Tinker Taylor is I'll spoil this for you. He doesn't say anything. Yeah, nothing. Uh, and that's really interesting. Yeah. So, I, I kept waiting. I just wanted to hear Patrick Stewart's um, amazing British accent that I wish I had. And uh, we were just taunted as he lifted up his arms to be re-handcuffed and walked out. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's going to be real interesting. And the, the, the interest, well, I'll ruin it this way. Will Carla actually say anything at all? will be the question that you're filled with. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i leaning towards the answer is going to be no, but we'll see. <laughs> Very good trivial pursuit answer, Tim. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's great. So yeah. I really think you'll enjoy the end, and you'll get to, at the very end of the miniseries, you'll get to meet Anne Smiley. Uh, oh, so the mysterious Anne. I'll ruin that for you a little bit, and, and, and it's going to be wild. So... And what I love about Lacare is it's not just the Cold War, but it's also the personal interactions between the characters. Um, and there's a, an exploration of human emotion um, and, and motivations and sinful humanity. And I think what he shows us is that anybody, no matter their ideals, will crack if you put on, push on them the right way. Uh, so totally worth it. The books are totally worth it as well, and I commend them to you. It's uh, it's interesting trying to figure out a, a mystery like this, and especially one where I, I know that you said that there's going to be this huge payoff. So I, I'm I'm anxious to see how it comes together, 
And I, I do think I'm, I'm starting to piece it together. It took me a few episodes just to kind of get my bearings on who the, all the characters were, because there are a huge number of characters introduced right off the bat. But I, I think I'm finally getting them down and their sort of unique personalities. Right at the end of part four, George goes to talk to Sam Collins. And Sam's like working in a casino. Yes. And they have a conversation about the fact that Sam was the duty officer the night of the operation where Jim Frito got shot. So they have that conversation. And you want to keep Sam in mind a little bit, um, especially when you get to the end of Smiley's People, either the miniseries or the book. Uh, so just, it's it's wonderful the way it's tied together, almost like he knew he was going to do another uh, another couple of books, which maybe he did. Yeah, that's always an interesting thing when an author ends up writing a trilogy or longer, is you wonder, sometimes it's very clear that they had this grand plan, and sometimes it, it isn't, but it's always interesting to ask that question. And, and then you'll notice that there's there's kind of a a cabal, there was a cabal in control in Smiley's favor, you know, there was that club where Smiley was second in command and then he wasn't, and then Percy comes in, and then at the end of this, there's going to be another another phase of George, uh, where George is running the show, so I'll ruin that a little bit for you, but I, I, I think you'll really enjoy it, and see where it goes. It'll be interesting. I have to say, as I've gotten to know George more, one thing that seems very identifiable, and anyone who's found themselves in the place of a whistleblower or someone who is trying to stand up uh, for things that are, that are right, that the other people feel obliged to, to look the other way on or, or have actually been literally bought off on, is just how painful that is. And you can tell that he's pained by this experience and how he realized the people around him, I, I think, were not the people he thought they were. Right. And he will say in the later miniseries that he watched the idiots get promoted with a startling regularity, which I kind of laughed at that when he said that later on in the next miniseries. So uh, George has been through a lot, and you tend to sympathize with him. Uh, and I really love him as a character brought to life by Sir Alec Guinness. May he rest in peace. And it's just a wonderful batch of stories, and it brings us back to the Cold War, uh, which we experienced, even if in a small way, from our youth yes. and from reading history. So, yeah, Thankfully, it, it did come to an end, uh, other than I, I wish the space race had continued, as we talked about in the previous segment. Yeah, yeah. Glad, glad to lose the Soviet, not so glad to lose the space race itself. Uh, so it needs to race back and we'll have to race back to this topic. And of course, I'm going to have to get an update from you on WandaVision in a nearby episode as well as we continue our, our summer journey through miniseries. But we need to talk right now about a different kind of forecast than what's coming up on Zippy the Wondersnail. We're going to talk about faithtree.com's weather desk. All of us want to know what the weather is going to be each day, right, Jason? That's right. I I tend to really want to know what that is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because whenever I just try to assume, I seem to assume incorrectly. So I, I I always make it a point to go check the weather forecast before I 
make too many plans on a given day. And yet, too often you go and you either download an app and it wants you to subscribe to some kind of premium package or it blasts you with a ton of ads and they're often kind of annoying ads at that. But if you go to faithtree.com's weather desk, you're not going to have any of that. You're not going to be tracked. We're not keeping track of where you're going. We're not asking you if you're planning to buy tickets to Hawaii because you looked up the forecast there. We're assuming that you just want to know the forecast. (laughs) And it's not our job to try to figure out what we can sell you because you looked it up. Our job is to give you the weather from around the world anytime you want it. Hourly weather, daily weather, radar maps, and a scripture that relates to the weather of the day. That's faithtree.com's weather desk, now serving you for over 20 years. That is really impressive stuff, Tim. Thank you for that. Oh, I'm glad to put it on the map as long as it's a radar map. So please do check us out, faithtree.com slash weatherdesk. You want to see it today. I can definitely roof to that a little bit, Tim. Yeah, it's uh, it really kind of just draws you in, doesn't it? It really does. You know what else draws us in if we, we go ahead and allow it to? I'd say that is the book of Psalms, wouldn't you say, Jason? Yeah, I would. I think it's a really special part of the Holy Scripture, and it's a part, uh, in a certain way, a part of the wisdom literature. And I want to especially emphasize um, praying the Psalms in Christ. And that is going to be a book recommendation from me this week, Praying the Psalms in Christ by Lawrence Creek Schauser. And I, I commend that book to you. Um, and I want to just think about, in some ways, we're so resistant to, because we want to pay attention to the original context of the Psalms or whatever we happen to be looking at when we're in the Old Testament. We don't want to overread it and read too much about Christ into the psalm. But in a certain way, um, we really should look for Christ in the psalms. And a lot of our uh, heroes in faith, that's exactly what they did. Um, and because God is the author of all of Scripture, then I think it is perfectly appropriate to say, okay, where can we find Christ in this particular psalm? or or what is even to say, what is Christ himself trying to say to me through this psalm? And, you know, we lost, we lost one of our heroes, Tim, Dr. David Calhoun, recently, um, after a long battle with cancer. But he spent a lot of time in prayer in psalms, and he used to say that you could find any emotion that you're experiencing in the psalm. So what a wonderful place to go, no matter what we happen to be dealing with, whether it's anger or sadness or whatever it is, uh, we can find ourselves there and then we can find hope there. Yeah, definitely. And, I, you know, I remember growing up reading the Psalms. They didn't really connect with me a lot, but as I've gone through different experiences in life and you go through something and you realize, wait, there's a Psalm that, that relates to how I'm feeling right now. It's so comforting to know that that God has placed those there. I remember one of our professors back in seminary would talk about the Psalms as God's authorized prayers, and this whole idea that it's okay that I'm feeling this way. And in fact, I'm not the first one to be feeling this way. 
the psalmist in this psalm or that psalm felt this way, and there can be comfort in that. It's so amazing. And then I'm curious about this book. I have not read the book that you were recommending, but given how much the New Testament leans on the psalms to speak about who Jesus is, as much as, like you said, we should care about original context, what we probably should care about most of all is reading the Bible how God himself has inspired us to read it. And if the New Testament goes and says, we can find Christ in the Psalms, then we really ought to do it. <laughs> That's right. And, and to know that along with, uh, along with the Psalms, they were also leaning on the minor prophets a lot when they were trying to describe the last days into which they were speaking as Christ was coming. You know, we should not be, I'll say this more generally, we should not be afraid of our Old Testament. Our Old Testament can shed light on what we're going to see in Jesus, and then we can look at our New Testament and let it shed light on what we know from the Old Testament and and bring light to it. So uh, Augustine would do that for us, and Aquinas would do that for us, and other teachers and leaders could help us do that as well. So. Let's not be afraid of our Bibles. In each part, God has something to say to us, and even through us. So, Amen. just go back to the Psalms and know that prayer is something that we should be doing, and the Psalms are a record of people having done that and having struggled. And we can get through it, and we can have God with us. Yeah, absolutely. You think about it, why did God inspire a collection of songs like that to be right there smack dab in the middle of his word? Why did he want it there for us? And I think the answer is that he understands what we we experience. And we're told, of course, all the more so that because God became man in, in Jesus, he's experienced everything we've experienced. But God is our creator as well, and he knows what we need. And what we find in the Psalms is is our God feeding us, uh, ministering to us, and, and giving us the opportunity to respond and worship to Him. It's a wonderful combination. And, and so often you see that journey in a, in a given psalm where it can begin with the desperate cry of the psalmist going through a situation and end in the praise and joy of a God who is faithful. Not necessarily in some kind of forced construct that everything's going to be okay tomorrow, or I just need to pretend everything's going to be okay but in the sense that God is actually there with us, even if we're David stuck out in a cave running from his enemies, or or we don't know why God is allowing disaster to strike the nation, or whatever it might be, that, that he is with us, even in those things, and, and that his word is able to acknowledge those things. It's not trying to cover it up. It's not trying to pitch some kind of idea that, that everything's easy, but rather that even in the hard things, God's with us. Yeah, even in Psalm 22, it starts off, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then you read the end of Psalm 22, and it's like, I will praise your name in the great congregation. That's Christ doing that. So he knows, Christ knows all of that. Uh, And when he suffers, uh, we can find ourselves in that. Absolutely. And in the incarnation and in the crucifixion, he he identifies himself with us, God with us, in a special way, in in the highs and in the lows. And I think because there's so much to 
struggle through and so much anxiety that we've had lately, we should acquaint ourselves with a God who suffered. Uh, and, and that is Christ for us. And he is still that one, even though he is victorious and resurrected. You know, that's the interesting thing, and I've said this before on the show. His wounds, he never gives away his wounds. He is still uh, the one who has suffered, and he keeps the memory of those wounds. And he shows them, you know, even even when he appears to the apostles, he shows his wounds to them, and and they don't go away. He keeps that memory of that of that service and that love, and so we also do. We carry the scars of our struggles, but we're still us, and God is still for us. Yes. So anyway, I'm rambling now. Oh, you're the pastor. You should ramble about that. <laughs> hey, you're you're an awfully fine theologian. So I'm always happy to hear your ramblings about something so important and true, because they're not really ramblings. They're reflections on something that we should remember. Um, you know, sometimes we, I think, almost view the crucifixion as somehow an anomaly where where God's plan got messed up. But again, if we're familiar with the Old Testament like you were encouraging us, we see, for example, the prophecies hundreds of years before where Isaiah is talking about the coming suffering servant. And we see that fulfilled in Jesus. And it's not something where Things didn't go right when Jesus arrived here, but rather God intentionally came to suffer for us. And so we should do exactly what you're saying, which is not forget that suffering, but rejoice in what God has done for us and how he understands us. And and to think this is a true mystery, it was not a plan B. You know, it was it was plan A in some weird sense. You know, not not that it's good that Adam and Eve sinned, but to think that God always intended the incarnation for us uh, is truly a mind-boggling thought and, and testifies to his great love in bodily form. Uh, so we could we could spend the rest of our lives thinking about that, uh, and we should. So, And we still will not probe the full depths of that amazing frontier. We were talking about the, f- the final frontier space earlier. But really, the final frontier is God's love, because no matter how far we go, we'll never get to the end of it. And that's pretty amazing. Really amazing. I'd say that's a good place to end our show. It does seem like it. Yeah, we're at that time, aren't we? We are. And so I would encourage all of you to find us on your favorite services for listening. Find Zippy the Wonder Snail. Find us at OFB.biz. And know that we care about you and we want to hear from you. So feel free to drop us a line. Feel free to tell us how you're doing and how much you enjoy the show and or our articles at OFB, and we'll see you next time. See you later, Tim. See you, Jason. Can't wait to see all of you again next time.